listen, you learn one main tip, it could change the whole trajectory of your life. What if Eric teaches me one main thing about Facebook that adds me an extra hundred bucks? Well, a hundred bucks is what isn't hundred bucks. It compounds because now yeah. hundred bucks becomes 500, then a thousand, then five grand, then 10 grand, then 20 grand every month. And you know what I'm saying? Like the whole trajectory of your, of your business by learning something about a hundred bucks. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huber. All right, you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Dan Fleischman. How are you, man? Just happy to be here. So, gotta ask, two years old, starting the poker rounds, doing some influencer marketing, like, Take me back. Where where are you born? Where where did it all start? So I was born in Riga, Latvia. Uh-huh. Uh, we left when I was six months old to Los Angeles. Around four years old, my parents were selling Levi's jeans on the swap meet every weekend. Uh-huh. Yeah. In the back of a van. And so we had a booth every weekend. Well, a booth. We had a van every weekend in a parking yeah. spot. And uh, they'd open up the back of the van. And so Which I swap said, meet was this? Like, is this the like Pasadena Valley, one? Valley View, like in the yep. County Huntington Beach area. Yep. And so I sat at my little table and I was buying and selling baseball cards with, you know, $1, $5. And then I had $12. And How old were you? From four years old to eight years old. Every wow. <laughs> Never missed it. And how'd you get into that? Was it, did you love baseball or did you like, what, what drew you to it? I don't remember. <laughs> I remember that I, I remember never missing a single weekend. And I remember I just like started off with like four cards. Then I had eight and I bought and traded my way up to 12. And then I finally had a whole little table. Yeah. And I had like my three or four were my goal cards. Like a Hank Aaron was my goal card. Yep. That was 40 bucks, which now is like, I don't know, 50 to 100 grand. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, so that's what I did for four years old, eight years old. My parents end up opening a couple of Levi's jeans stores. Uh-huh. Uh, they get divorced. I go to San Diego with my mom. My dad stays with my brother in LA. And then I start buying and selling candy at, the, at school. Yeah, That was my main focus, buy, sell candy. And then in high school, I finally... Started working three jobs simultaneously. So I was working at the stadiums on Peanuts, Cracker Jacks. <laughs> Which stadium? At Qualcomm. Yeah. And then I was working at Ruby's Diner with a sailor's cap on. And then I was working for a stockbroker under the table as like his assistant. And so I saved up all this money to try to go to San Diego State. I was going to say, is that, was that the drive? Like you were working hard to try to go to school? Yeah. When I mean, we didn't have much money at all. So it was. You know, it was tough. And so I was saving as much money for my mom as I could to kind of help cover whatever I could for myself and not be a drain on her. Yeah. And then I ended up at, when I was 17, me and my partner, he was the polar opposite. I had my 1982 Buick Regal. He had a Corvette and an Escalade. Oh. <laughs> nice. so his dad had a huge nine-figure year company. So we trademarked this catchphrase, who's your daddy, to make t-shirts and eventually we trademarked it for barbecue sets and beverages and paper products and everything you could this is when you're 17 yes wow and what how did that go i mean i think i've seen that brand yeah so at first it was just us selling t-shirts at school yeah you know we'd sold out 100 shirts at 15 bucks each so now we're like millionaires we had yeah. at least i felt that way because i didn't have money like he did yeah and then we went to magic the big clothing convention last yep. day and we thought we were going to be big time we got two boots instead of one so we got 20 feet instead of 10. So we were going to go take over the whole show, right? Yeah. We get there, and next to us on the left is a company called FUBU. Yeah. The whole entire walkway. <laughs> on my right is a brand new launch company called Sean John. It's their first yeah. time of Magic also. They have a two-story, looks like an actual castle all the way down. <laughs> we're in between. That sucks. I mean, I've been to Magic many times and it's like, there are a lot of like single boost, double boost, but if you happen to be in the wrong place where you have those two big ones, it's so distracting, it's hard to grab people. So we used it to our advantage because we're like, we were like, well, first it was humbling. We got there, we're like, oh my God, like we're the little engine that could, we're so tiny. Yeah. But then we're like, wait a minute, everybody's going to come visit them. So when anybody, yeah. anybody walks by, let's just try to hook them in. Yeah. So we put up a, a, like an actual little boom box we have some, we, a couple of girls from high school, like are drove up with us to like stay at the booth and like yeah. be the cheerleader to help us rally people in. And our, we have like these racks of clothing that were just t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. That was it. Yeah. We, we couldn't afford anything else than that. And so it worked. We ended up doing over a million dollars in orders Wow! at the show. However, which is, all, which is I think it's like 130 accounts total. Most yeah. accounts are like 5k to 20k type accounts. Yeah. Then, we like, then we got three six figure orders from like 
Mr. Rags and Dr. J's and uh, Miller's Outpost, which became Paxson. So here's the problem. We didn't know you needed to go have like four or 500 grand and make a million bucks worth of clothing. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't know that. How yeah. the heck are you going to come up with that? So we get back and we didn't have a manufacturer yet. We knew, oh, wow. the, you know, yeah. we knew the guy that made us the samples, but he, he couldn't do actual production. So we get back to San Diego. We drive to LA and spend three days there, just like knocking on doors near the apparel mart and the yeah. apparel building and keep getting told, hey, I go that way. Hey, yeah, talk to Johnny over there and Bobby over there. <laughs> I've been through the same thing. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there was no social media back then. There was no. Like, and it's literally that scrappy. It's like, oh yeah, there's a guy like go down two blocks. It's in the other tower, the new mart, not the Cal Mart. Like, <laughs> and tell him Vinny sent you. Yeah, exactly. So, we end up stumbling upon a guy named Christopher Wicks and his son was our age, uh -huh. Christian Wicks. So I'm still dear friends that I literally talked to 20 minutes ago before nice. meeting you. So Christopher Wicks, he owned licenses like Hang 10, Ocean Pacific, Body Glove, LA Gear. And at the time he was deep into Fender guitars. He had their license. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And he started a clothing brand called English Laundry, which he later oh, started. Yeah. He sold it for over hundred million later on. And so he became like our dad type figure. His son was our identical age and he believed in us and how scrappy we were. We already had a bunch of orders. So he knew that people cared, right? People mm -hmm. would buy from us. And so he took us from 1 million to that year, getting us $9.5 million in, in licensing deals and sales. And that's like the first year, right? Yeah. So this became year two when he actually yeah. got us all the real numbers. Wow. And then the deal he got us with Starter Apparel and those licensees was just for the UK was 9 million bucks uh, as a wow. minimum guarantee for three years. So he got us some big boy deals to like get us pumped up. Yeah. And also more importantly, helped us with the financing of manufacturing because that's the hardest part. Yeah. Uh, loading the inventory. And then he got us set up in meetings all across. So there were some obviously lots of roller coasters in between there that were <laughs> wild just being 18, 19, 20, 21 years old in the clothing business. People take a yep. lot of advantage of you. So definitely any, any key story that stands out? It's about so the journey. <laughs> I think the I think the main story was Empire State Building in New York. Yep. And there's these guys had this big showroom and they just knew everyone, everything. And there's this guy who like he was the legend of the game. We had a booth at a different convention called ASR, the Action Sports Retail Show. Uh-huh. The way we got that booth was that during Magic, I saw the guy's badge and it said Action Sports Retail Show. So I literally like stopped him. This is some random 50 year old dude. I'm 18, 19. Like, yeah. And I was like, Hey, what's that show? <laughs> oh yeah. It's a surfwear show and sports and skate in San Diego next week. I was like, Oh great. We want a booth. He's like, it doesn't work like that. Like everybody bought their booth months ago. Yeah. I was like, no, no, we need a booth. We're, we live in San Diego. It's perfect. Come on. We're going to yeah. get a booth. He was like, I really don't have a booth. I said, you can just put us next to someone. It's fine. We don't need much space. Look at how big our booth is. Let me show you. He's like, no, no, no. I'll give you my number. We'll figure it out for the next show. I said, no, no, no. this show next week. We're coming. <laughs> he gives us a booth attached to someone else's booth at the very, very, very front where you register. Oh, wow. So the first four hours you have all 40,000 people yeah. next to you. So for four hours, we are the cat, yeah. right? We're the best thing in town. Yep. We're talking to everyone. We're brand new 18 year old kids. Like, Hey, look, look, look at us. We just got a million dollars in orders. Like we had the good momentum, but it's a four day show. After those four hours, wah, wah, wah. nobody really yeah. can fly, right? Cause you don't need to register. Yeah. And so we're attached to Calvin Klein and their booth is massive. And the, the president Calvin Klein becomes our, our dear friend because we're bored out of our minds. Yeah. He's, he's entertained by these kids that are just like boom boxing and you know, like yeah. inviting people over. And so we become fast friends with this guy. He starts teaching us about the game. And he's like, hey, look, if you ever come to New York, look us up. And he gave me his card. So the show ends on Sunday. We, Monday morning, we literally, me and my partner, flew to New York with no meeting, no phone call. Yeah. Just went. So we show up at his building, the Empire State Building. He had FUBU, the, the ladies license. He had the FUBU yeah. ladies. He had Sean John, the underwear license. He had Diddy's underwear license. Uh, when we get there, Mary J. Blige is literally there in the room as we walk in. And we walk up to the secretary like, Hey, we have a meeting with Carlos Vasquez. Yeah. Like, no, you don't. So, yeah, we do. We have a meeting today. Like, we just, yeah. She said, that's not possible. He just landed. So, there was no meetings for today. I was like, no, look, I'm positive we have a meeting with him. And the second we say it, we see him and he sees us and locks eyes. He's like, who's your daddy? <laughs> 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 
how could we be there? Right. We were just in. <laughs> so anyways, uh, he said, you got to meet the, the CEO guy. He's like the, the biggest in the game. He was a CEO of Periolis and CEO of Donna Karen before you got to talk to him. And so he's like, you're going to get like 15 minutes at the best. We ended up sitting in a meeting with this guy for four and a half hours. Wow. I learned more in that meeting than I have to date about apparel. Wow. He taught us about every single thing that a company can do with chargebacks, about sh shipping your clothes back. If you have the label the wrong way, if you have it on the hanger to the left instead of hanger to the right, they'll charge you back. He was yeah. teaching about store within a store, real estate, like everything you can imagine. I learned in that moment 20 years ago. Well, and it's amazing. So I got to imagine a lot of people wouldn't look to learn that. Like, where did that come from? Like, because I'm sure you, you learned that much because you spent four hours listening yes. and understanding. Like, wh where do you think that came from? Because obviously you've got the hustle from a young age, but what about that, you know, inquisitive side? I think it's still me. I think still now. Yeah. I go to so many events and I speak at events literally to go learn and listen. Yep. Because, listen, you learn one main tip, it could change the whole trajectory of your life. Yep. What if what if Eric teaches me one main thing about Facebook that adds me an extra hundred bucks? Well, a hundred bucks is what isn't hundred bucks. It compounds because now yep. hundred bucks becomes five hundred, then a thousand, then five grand, then ten grand, then twenty grand every month. And you know what I'm saying? Like yep. it changes the whole trajectory of your of your business by learning something about a hundred bucks. Yep. And so I'm not sure where it exactly came from, but I was during high school during college era and now i always want to learn that thing because i know how much things compound if i learn that one thing makes sense so that meeting ends up going well we end up doing clothing for years when i'm 23 is when we take it public on the stock market yeah so um, tell me about that because you were the youngest person yeah. to take a company or youngest ceo to take a company public at the yeah. time right so it was fascinating because again social media didn't exist so yeah. we were doing traditional news non-stop CNN, ABC, Fox News, nonstop, yeah. no publicist. Everyone just got a hold of us because this was such a unique. We were so young. We were yeah. babies. Yeah, it was going well. So there was an interesting thing, and it's like a funny catchphrase. Yeah, it was very visual. So the stories were going well for us, and it helped us with retail a lot. And so I was really pushing to get into print magazines. I was sponsoring from Maxim magazine, so whatever magazine I could get into, I was always sponsoring them to get full page ads, which is. Silly looking back at it, but I had to do it because I knew what it would do for the rest of the business. Right. So we ended up launching it. We only did it to raise capital for the energy drink because beverages are very expensive. Like clothing's expensive to float the inventory, but on beverages, it's even harder because they reorder every one to four weeks. But it yeah. takes you two to three months of production time. Got it. You gotta like really forecast, which we didn't even know how to spell forecast. And we had to really <laughs> forecast of how much inventory we needed. And you yep. need a lot of capital and it's very heavy for shipping. It's very heavy for storage. It takes up a yep. lot of space that there are drinks. Yep. So that first year was difficult. We raised 3.75 million opening day was like the capital we wanted to raise. We raised in like two minutes. Yeah. And the VCs and investment makers are super happy with us. We just start handing out, boom, start, let's start seven up Sprite, ball manufacturing. Who's your can manufacturer? Who's going to do this? And just here, take all the money. We literally, the same amount of money we got that day, we wired out the same day. Wow. To just get us more drinks, get us more yeah. cans, get us more yeah. packaging, get us more everything. Yeah. And so for the next four years, I sincerely don't remember. From 23 to 27, that block, I don't remember a dinner, a date, a birthday, anything. Those four yeah. years, I just drove and flew to every retail store, every distributor around the country, nonstop. We ended up getting 43 distributors. Half of them were Budweiser, and the rest were Coors, Miller, and Pepsi. Uh -huh. I just went to their warehouses, drove with their drivers, and then Groundhog Day did it again. Groundhog wow. Day did it again. Over and over and over. And again, remember, this is like MySpace days. That was yeah. it. Like what yeah. else? And so I was doing traditional marketing. We were sponsoring NASCAR, but we couldn't afford NASCAR. We were, and so what I did was I had Circle K, the chain store, buy a couple million bucks worth of beverage. I was going to pay 1.5 million a year for the, the NASCAR, but they had to do 3 million in orders, which would make me break even. Yeah, I did that. Then I also went to Smith's grocery store chain and did the same deal with them for 1.6 million. They ended up reordering more and more and more. And so I tried to do those type of weird traditional slash upside yeah. down deals to make it so I didn't have to actually pay for it. Yeah. The Utah State Fair. It was called the Coca-Cola State Fair for 16 years. All of a sudden, a city that's not supposed to have caffeine or state that's not supposed to have caffeine, Coca-Cola obviously was their, their biggest endorser. I said, hey, Smith's grocery store. Let us do a whole end cap display at every one of your stores. 
we will invite people and spend money on radio to promote to go to your stores. If they buy our drinks, we'll give them five bucks off each ticket up to four tickets. So family of four. Mm -hmm. Ace of drinks is only $26. So they're going to save 20 bucks. So most families will do it just because they know they're going to go to the fair anyways. So yeah. our sales were skewed, right? Our sales were through the roof, kind of, right? Because we're basically handing out free money. And so we would go in and do these interesting type of sponsorship deals to try to, because we just didn't have the money to, to do them. Yeah. So we ended up getting the 55,000 retail stores over the next wow. few years and learning a lot of what we call the energy drink wars. You know, yeah. Red, Red Bull, Monster, and Rockstar would pay to get us out. You know? Oh, they would. Yeah, I was going to say they seem. I, I don't know as much about Red Bull's ethics, but Rockstar and Monster seem like they would definitely. And I'm sure Red Bull did the same thing. Like they would actually be aggressive about things. Yes. So anytime we poke the bear, the bear clawed us. Yeah. We would get into the biggest nightclub in San Diego. We're like, oh my god, we're in thirty thousand square foot club. This is amazing. We yeah. got the DJ booth has our branding on it. Every Friday night is our energy drink night. It was amazing. And then we'd get the call like. Hey, you know your your guys' stuff isn't on the on the DJ booth anymore. I was like, why? Well, it says Red Bull now. Why oh. say Red Bull? And I go talk to the owner. They're like, Hey, Red Bull gave us a quarter million bucks for the year. What do you want me to do? Yeah, I get it. And then we go down the street, and they Red Bull already did all of the venues in like a two day period. They went out and handed out checks and covered downtown San Diego. As the example, that happened in lots of cities. Yeah. And so we called it the takeover. It was like energy drink wars versus the energy drink takeover. Yeah. I mean, Costco ended up bringing on our drinks. This was a crazy story. They brought our drinks on. And remember, Costco usually carries the top three products of a category. Yeah. So they had Red Bull, Monster, and Rockstar. Good luck getting in. Yeah. Sometimes Coca-Cola would bring in full throttle. That was about it. You couldn't really yeah. get in. So Costco says, well, look, we're going to test you for the California market. We'll drop Rockstar for you, but you wow. have to do X amount of sales. I was like, God bless you. By the way, I got into Costco by simply sending a care package every Friday to the security guards and secretaries, not to executives. Yep. And then they just kept seeing them drink it up front. Yeah, that's so <laughs> smart. Yeah, I mean, you know John Rowan, Giftology? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's his whole thing is, you know, go for the spouse, the secretary, the people that don't get taken care of as much. Because they're in their ear. Yep. So... Costco says, great, we end up doing quite a large order for us, especially opening order was, I think it was 1.8 million, 1.9 million. Oh, nice. Opening order. This is only, remember, for a few dozen stores. This is just California. Yeah. But when you think about Costco, they order by the truckload per store. Yeah. So literally a semi-truck is what they prepare for a store because they, they can't sell a little bit. They have to sell a lot yeah. to make things. So I get to the store on a Friday. They had a delivery on Thursday. I get to the store on a Friday, and I go to the beverage section. And there's Red Bull Monster and a bunch of plastic. And it's, oh. That's our name, but none, our drinks aren't there. So I go find them like, hey, can you can you guys bring the drinks out? They're like, I don't know. It's the strangest thing. We sold out all of those drinks. Oh. Like, sure, sure you did. Yeah, right. They're like, no, we did. So I don't even like acknowledge that they exist anymore. And I walk to someone else because this guy is insane. Yeah. It's not yeah. possible. Yeah. I go find someone else. I'm like, hey, can you help me? I, I'll, I'll go in the back and do it for you guys. I'll push the pallet out. Where are the pallets at? Like, so it was the weirdest thing. Everything got bought. So <laughs> I think it's just complete BS, right? There's no way. It's, it's literally not possible. This was like a month's worth of product. So I, I leave and I go to another Costco because they're not helping me. And when I get there, exact same scenario. Okay, it's, this one's like 25 minutes away. This time I go and find a manager. And I was like, hey, I was at another store. This is impossible. How could this have happened? They're like, well... We think there's a problem. So what's the problem? Well, we listed you at 1999 and you were supposed to be at 2899. And so the liquor store owners, they have like a the Chaldeans have an association with like 1100 members of they own all these liquor stores all up and down California. They put out a newsletter, like a, a some kind of message to your email to each other that the drinks were less than what you could buy from Budweiser for. So our distributor in the area was selling wholesaling to them at 22 or sorry at 24 they would then sell it for 32 and yeah. that you know blah 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 and if they wanted to they could sell it two dollars a can which would be 48 dollars. so everybody was happy in that market but for them even to save four dollars yeah. is a big deal for them yeah the way their whole thing and you know, think about it, they're buying candy bars to make four cents on yeah so say four dollars some of them got slick bought all of it yeah just to sell to each other oh that's funny 
And so all of a sudden these guys became their own distributors and they, they house would like wholesale tobacco and yeah. candy, et cetera. They went and bought everything and took it. Cause I was selling it to Budweiser at 1950 and they're paying 20 bucks at Costco. Yeah. And so they just bought everything, took it to their own warehouses and then were schlepping around the city to sell <laughs> to each other. <laughs> well, I guess it worked out. Costco at least was happy that they ran through the product, right? Well, I had to be honest with them because they want to do a, a national store buy. Because remember, the guys at the corporate headquarters, they don't know. They just see crazy yeah. numbers. They don't know the yeah. story. I said, guys, this was not real. I can't yeah. perform like that. Not, I'm, I'm going to sell you know, 10 cases a day there. I'm not going to sell 100. It's not real life. Yeah. And so they actually ended up dropping us. Uh, they said we wouldn't be able to afford to handle their next order. And so Rockstar got back in there. And I actually found out later that they paid, I think it was almost $3 million to the Costco's. And in their email, someone told me about it. They were actually told to place our drinks by the dumpster outside and Rockstar will pick it up. No, they were doing that. I actually had a heart to heart after I found out about this. They were doing that because they wanted to hurt our brand. Yeah. They wanted them to leave it outside. They specifically asked them to leave it outside on Tuesday. Cause I guess the pickups were on Monday so that our yeah. drinks would be outside by the trash can for the week. Yeah. That's all the wars that we were anyways. So that's insane. Yeah. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it got that bad. So what kept, what was next? What kept happening? So that ran on, did that for four years. When I was 27 on the 10 year anniversary, I started when I was 17. Yeah. I resigned so I could put another feather in my cap and I've been doing the same brand for a decade. Yeah. And I want to start a poker site, an online poker site. So real quick, you resigned. Did you, did that company keep running? Did you exit? Did you? Yeah. So I was the largest shareholder when I resigned. Yeah. Company went, when I left, it went from 55,000 stores to 18,000 stores in one quarter. Wow. 18,000 to 4,500 in one year. And wow. so I was the driving force on the sales side. Yeah. And the, the CEO that got brought in, he was like in the, you know, 65, 70 years old range. And he was in the gaming space, like uh -huh. in the casino space. So it just didn't, it wasn't a fit for him. Yeah. Uh, but I had, I had moved on. My life was moving forward. Yeah. I want to start a poker site. Social media has started to pop up, YouTubes and Twitters and things started to pop up. And what year is this? This is now 2008, 2009. Okay. And so Facebook's a thing now. Everything, like things are yeah. people actually using it. We don't have smartphones yet, but we're getting there. We're, we're yeah. about a year. So I moved to a place called Malta. Never yeah. heard of Malta before. Put on a backpack and I just went to Malta. <laughs> and I just knew I had to be there because you only had two options of where you're going to get your gaming license. And I don't want to be in Gibraltar and Seychelles type places because there's yeah. nothing there. Yeah. Malta at least had you know, restaurants and whatever. It was, yeah. at least, it was at least a little town. Even though it was tiny, it was at least there was something. So I go move there for two years by myself and build a poker site. Within 10 weeks, we are a functional live site. And within that's great. That's you had a good developer because that's fast. Yeah. Well, we we use the skin like a white label on some of the the hard parts. Got it. So we had a back end system on the actual casino platform, the poker platform. That yep. was a white label on a a small network that was based in Malta. And then we it was called Everleaf Gaming. We then got too big. We became more than fifty percent of their entire platform. And so we moved to a different platform called Cake. Uh -huh. So the Cake network was based in Vancouver. They could handle us, right? They were much bigger. Yep. And so we ended up becoming, this is when I signed Dan Bilzerian, DJ Steve Aoki, a bunch of Playboy Playmates, different, all these poker pros to be like the cool poker site. It yep. wasn't like cool. And what was the name of it? It was called Victory Poker. Nice. And so the videos are still up on YouTube. We made a bunch of crazy fun videos for YouTube. And we had like a play on words when we moved to the Cake Network. A lot of our content had Cake. The models were fighting with Cake. We'd have cake at every final table. Like we started using the cake network, which yeah. was our back end as kind of like our fun marketing. Is that where Steve Aoki got the cake throwing thing from? I don't think so. I can't take okay. care. Okay. <laughs> I, I know you guys are friends. I yeah. wasn't sure. Uh, we, were, we were playing poker back in 2007 and eight before the site even started. He liked playing poker. Got it. He, he would have like different friends over back then uh, yeah. for small, small poker games, but like cool, like Benji Madden and mini me and like it's fun. Yeah, that's fun. Um, they were just liking to play with a couple hundred bucks, just like hang yeah. out. And so now social media starts to become a thing. Aoki, Bozerian, the, the playmates, the poker pros, I'm getting them all on television and they're starting to build up some social media. But I've realized that I, a similar concept where I was leveraging other people's marketing, like in NASCAR, the poker sites, my biggest competitors, full tilt and poker stars, they had humongous TV shows, $9 million production, $7 million productions running on all these different channels. So 
I'm the little engine that could. Same concept. Self-financed it, and some of the poker pros put in some money on top of that. That was it. We didn't do any outside capital raise. And what we had in funding was what they'd make in a day, right? And that's what I'm up yeah. against. So they have these big TV shows. Well, I've got the cool kids. I've got these poker pros, playmates, and musicians. I'm going to get them onto their TV shows playing poker, which is basically like a commercial because they yeah. play for eight hours. And that becomes eight one-hour segments that go on for the you know that season. And so all of a sudden you see Dan Bilzerian with a victory poker shirt on yeah. and you see the next poker pro with a hat on and you see little Sarah Underwood playing on, on Fox sports with a big victory poker patch on. And she's this big, like yeah. all you can do is stare at that person for an hour and then an hour and an hour and yeah. you don't look anywhere else. And your job is literally to analyze as a, as a viewer, your job is to analyze them. Yeah. You're looking how they twitch. You're looking how they shake their head. You're looking at their fingers and their shirt and their eyes and their mouth. Like you're analyzing them for an hour straight. And so yeah. our patch is the only thing you can see. Literally, there's no yeah. other words allowed. They're not allowed to wear logos. They're not allowed to wear Nike. You can't wear anything else. But wow. And so I started doing that at scale. I was just like, get on every TV show possible. I was playing on as many shows as I could. Yeah. Sarah was playing on TV shows. Aoki, Bozarian, Poker Pros, everybody, Antonio Spon, all these different characters that were on TV shows playing. We were going to UK, Australia, anywhere there was a TV show, we were there. That's awesome. It was we were, it was free. Yeah. Or they would pay, for, they would even pay for a lot of these guys travel because they were good talent for the shows. And so our competitors couldn't do much about it. They needed us for the shows because I had all the young blood. Right. And all the interesting characters. Their guys are like 54 years old and sit like this for an hour. Yeah. They don't say a word. That's not good TV, right? Yep. I got these guys splashing chips and making, you know, yep. funny, funny bets and telling stories and drinking. You got guys that are boring and like, so... That helped us a lot. We became a really big brand in the poker space. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, April 15th, there was something called Black Friday. Online poker is shut down in America. If you go to Full Tilt Poker or Poker Stars website, it literally says seized by the FBI. Wow. I was like, what just happened? It's, it's 10, 10 in the morning. I get a call from Bilzerian. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm at the Bellagio. Why aren't you in Malta? What are you like? What he's like going nuts. He's like, you haven't heard? I said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, go turn on the TV. So I walk inside a restaurant inside the Bellagio, and they turn on TV, and like every channel was bloody murder. Like it was over. Yeah. FBI, FBI, billions of dollars seized. I'm like, I look at my side, everything's fine. I look at my bank account, it's fine. <laughs> everything's fine. And at 12 o'clock, I have a meeting set with this guy. He used to own. Here, he created the licenses for Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Yeah. Yep. He invented the slot machine loyalty card. Like the oh, really wow. old people sit there and that's like, yeah. kind of put it in. Yeah. He sold that for like 440 million bucks. He owned Riverboat Casinos, the licenses to Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. Like he is the gaming guy, right? Yeah. I've been waiting for this meeting for four months. That's why I flew back in just yeah. to meet the guy at 12 o'clock. Yeah. So his name was Edward Fishman. I think he's still alive. He's in his 80s now. So I go to the Hard Rock to go meet this guy. And mind you, 10, 10 a.m. I find out my life's over. My site's not down, but I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I get there. I walk into this room at the Hard Rock. And the second I walk in, he's like, man, you look like somebody died. <laughs> we haven't said hello to each other. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it might be worse than that. Turn on the TV. So he puts on the TV. There it is. Yeah. Bloody murder. The sky is falling. Money seized in 16 countries, even the like non-extradition countries. They took the money everywhere. Yeah. What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. So he immediately calls Steve Wynn. I'm just a fly, you know, fly on the wall like, oh, cool. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> he, Steve, is, Steve is screaming bloody murder. He's like so mad at his attorneys because just a few weeks prior, he announced his major partnership with Full Tilt, with the poker site. Oh, Jesus, yeah. He was like, they waited like a year or two to announce the deal. Literally two weeks after they announced the deal, how, he's like, how could they not know? Yeah. So I'm meeting with Ed and he was like, you know why I brought you here? So yeah, I thought we we're gonna, gonna tell you all about my business, et cetera. I wasn't pitching him. Like I just yeah. knew I was meeting the, the legend in the game. Yeah. He was like, you're gonna be teaching poker and blackjack for four hours downstairs uh, to the California Sheriff's Department. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> he said yeah there's 11 of the sheriffs downstairs come on let's go so i'm with steve sear this casino host and we go downstairs and i'm like turn white i'm like oh my god 
Are you guys going to arrest me on the spot? Am I, am I a criminal? Did I do something wrong? Like what's happening right now? Cause everyone's just bombarding. So I go down there. I tell them the story in the first minute. Like, cause Edward messes with me. He's like, come on, yeah. tell, tell him you're not a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> so I explained to these guys and one guy keeps messing with me. He keeps like clinking his handcuffs. Yeah. The day. So I'm teaching them blackjack. I'm teaching them poker. People keep trying to call me nonstop. So I have to keep walking away to take quick calls. Like, yeah. so I never got, Nothing. I never got a letter, nothing. Nothing happened to us because we didn't do what they were doing. What they were doing was called miscoding merchant transactions. So let's say Eric's going to deposit 500 bucks on PokerStars. His, his credit card, his merchant account would say PS3. So try to make it sound like a PlayStation. Yeah. I would go deposit the same 500 bucks and it would say mattresses.biz or flowers.edu. It would say yeah. something that was like non-related to gaming. And so mine, I was Wells Fargo is my one bank account. And it said victory poker on your statement. That was it. I only had two things. because yeah, you, So you weren't committing fraud. Yeah. And I just didn't no. even know what, I didn't even know why they were doing what they were doing. I was, you know, didn't yeah. even make sense to me. I'm like, why would, why would you matter? Why would it matter? So I ended up manually paying back 41,000 people over the next four days. Okay. I'm, I'm closing the site down. I'm telling everyone on social media. I'm doing a bunch of radio interviews. I'm like, hey, if you have money with us, withdraw, 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 withdraw. We just want to pay everyone back. We'll, yeah. re, we'll reassess. Once whatever happens to my competitors, I don't feel comfortable. If the government comes and takes our bank accounts, it's your money. Take your money back. Everybody take your money oh, back. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, cause I just didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. But that's still, a, it was a good thing to do because it wasn't your problem either if they yeah. took the money, but that's the right thing to do. That's awesome. I wanted to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. And so right. well, over the next four days, I managed to pay everyone back. I've become the good guy in the space and I, it helped me a lot. So the toughest financial decision ended up becoming the best from a personal scenario yeah, uh, because I could sleep at night and my competitors ended up taking a half a decade before they paid everyone back. And they never, wow. paid, they never actually paid everyone back because the government only gave them portions yep. and they like acquired poker stars, acquired full tilt, whatever. It was a, a whole mess. Took half a decade, never fully got resolved. A lot yep. of people lost hundreds of millions of dollars, which was very sad. Yeah. So by paying everyone back, I started getting these consulting gigs with land-based casinos uh -huh. I was the only I was the only CEO of a poker site in America that wasn't dead or in jail. I was yeah. the that was clean cut. And so I started doing these consulting gigs. And I also realized in that moment, I never want to have all my eggs in one basket ever again. Yeah. All in twice now, right? Yeah. My first brand for 10 years, then this brand, all of a sudden, boom, it's over. What do I do? Yep. So that's when I decided I was going to become an angel investor into different companies. Mm -hmm. And I was going to start my social media agency. And really try to diversify and rebuild my. my what life. year was that? This is now 2011. Okay, so still very early. Social media agencies in 2011 were not yeah. prominent. We did not really become an agency agency until like 2012, 13. I'd say 2011 wasn't 2010 or 11 when Facebook started advertising. Yeah, we were never we never did Facebook ads anyway. Yeah. yeah. Always just hey Chloe Kardashian, I'll pay you 10 grand to tweet this. Yep. That's Got it. it. <laughs> Our first things were closer to like 2012, 2013 range after I did, I did a consulting gigs for the first year or two before I started. Right. And so 2000, I think it was 14, no, 13, 14 is when it became an actual agency. Like that's when, yeah. before it was called elevator studios that had a different name to it called one penny. And the reason it was called one penny ad agency was we could get you eyeballs with a one penny CPM. Basically that's what we yeah, joke. Nice. And so all of our eyeballs were, it's how can we get you as many eyeballs as we can for, at the one penny CPM rate. Yeah. And so people were just giving us budgets and all of a sudden the budgets went from like 10K and 25K to like 50K and 100K, 100K and 250K, 100K, 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 100K every week. I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yep. Okay. We got a little business here. And it was the wild, wild west. Nobody yeah. knew what anybody was worth. They still yep. don't really know, right? We're yeah. still, we're still totally. And so back then, like, hey, Kim Kardashian, will you post this for $25,000? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then you have to be in a picture in it because I don't even know if Twitter had pictures back then. Yeah. So it was like, of course. And yeah. so getting people to tweet, getting people to post on YouTube videos, getting people. And then as Instagram popped up, obviously that was our biggest focus. Those are Instagram still our biggest focus to date. Uh -huh. So we were just getting people and brands to pay. And then at the same time, we were making our own themed accounts and meme accounts. And so we ended up having, I think, 36 million followers worth of accounts of like theme pages, just owning like in the makeup space or the cannabis space or the fashion space, et cetera. Yep. And so we started making these themed accounts and at the same time paying everyone to post. 
And we were just like the middleman, the broker, the agency for all these brands. So 2015, 16, 17, it becomes a real thing, right? We become Elevator Studio. We're becoming like doing all the Kardashians, not all of their stuff, but a lot of tens of millions of dollars with them. Yep. Uh, we're doing the initial rounds of posts for Fashion Nova and Fit T as they're emerging. We're the ones driving around with Fit T products and paying. And how did you get these connections like for Fashion Nova, Fit T? Was it just you were doing it so long you just kind of built network or were you hustling to be like, we're going to be the guys for that brand? So we never had like an outbound sales team, but we had a right. lot of referrals. And yeah. I was throwing elevator nights, my events, my free events yeah. every quarter. And yeah. so there was nobody else throwing events like that. And yeah. there was nobody else like actively in the game, talking, going, running around. I, I'm like, I'm trying to be everywhere, right? I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be omnipresent. So I'm with Ty Lopez and his world over here. And he was taking off in social media. Yeah. But then I'm with Amber Rose and Scott Disick and Tyga and like yeah. those characters and Rob Kardashian over here on this side. And so they would post with me and then the brands would see it. And I'll, that became the obvious thing. Got it. And I started doing some of the posts I was doing and asking that I should have done it way more often. I was asking some of the influencers to post about me as an agency owner. Yeah. So I remember going to Amber Rose for Fashion Nova and bringing her a whole bunch of, uh, I brought her a check, but also brought her in cash. We, we made a rose for her out of cash, out of $100 bills. And then we made like a vase and the vase was full of cash. Yeah. There was a bonus on top. So her actual payment was her normal payment. Yeah. And we made this thing is like a, a visual gift for her. So she made this post of her holding this vase with a row, rose of $100 bills with us tagging us. Nice. And so now what happens? Well, Amber had a big following from hip hop side of the world, fashion side of the world. Girls are obviously following her and looking up to her. People yep. hated her. Lots of people hated her. So all the different components happen and the brand owners, a lot of them saw it because she was one of the first people to get big. And yep. so Black China, she would come over to the office all the time. Same concept. Her and I would make a video on a hoverboard together. Yeah. In that video, um, she's, when she's tagging me, same concept. Hip hop artists follow her. Mainstream follows her. Lots of people hate her. All the media and paparazzi follow her, right? Yeah. So I should have been even more intentional about it. I didn't do mm -hmm. it enough. But the times that I did do it, it helped get a lot of inbound clients. Yeah. So when Fashion was first getting going, he just realized the repetitiveness and like, just keep hammering it, keep hammering, keep hammering yeah. it. We mostly helped on the, the celebrity side. He was doing it himself. I don't want to take any credit. He did himself on the influencer side. They did a massive scale. Again, is it Richard? Yeah, Richard. Yeah. Uh, he did it at a massive scale all in-house. It was amazing uh -huh. to watch him like just over. Yeah. And, over, and, they With, and then Fit T, they just gave us multi-million dollar budgets. Go, just make us famous. Get us with as many different characters as you can. Yep. So we, we made some really interesting content where Kim Kardashian's posting. It didn't even matter how much he did in sales that day because the amount of every other girl and every other influencer and every media outlet wanting to be attached to the brand yeah it really mattered yeah and so that was where really we had a big turning point because all these other brands saw what we were doing on the big scale yeah and then that led us to pretty little thing and boohoo and nasty gal and yeah. movies and sodas and beers whatever. when i love what you just said there because i think it's something we deal with on the marketing side too all the time is everybody looks at some things in a vacuum like how much sales did we do that day when kim kardashian posts it's like you gotta look a little more nuanced than that when it comes to growing your business and it's the brilliance comes in where you can understand all the other benefits so that you can decide is it truly justifiable or not because maybe they didn't get hit up by a bunch of people and maybe Kim didn't work out for them because I'm sure plenty of those campaigns haven't, right. but, but they were able to look at it. And if they had looked at just sales, they may have never pursued it anymore, but because they understood the power of also getting all the people that looked up to her to want to partner with them too. That's huge. Yep. So we did it with Postmates, Lyft and DraftKings. Uh -huh. And in all three of those campaigns, it was very similar. We had around 80 to 90 influencers, some of them being the celebrities, some of them being fitness and makeup and beauty and fashion. Yeah. And some of them are hit or miss. Some of them are not going to convert that day. But then did this happen because of it? Did, did this situation happen because of that? Did their best friends start posting and they started crushing it? Yep. So I've turned down a lot of clients as an agency just telling them, I'm not going to guarantee you an ROI. Yeah. I can lead all the, the horses to water. I cannot make them drink. Yep. Your website doesn't convert. Your price points are wrong. 
if you're this is done. But if you have a good website that's already selling really well of your hats, you know, say okay. you're wearing camouflage hats and you do well converting there, you are much more inclined to do well if I send you a million people to your website. Yeah. Right? Yep. I can't guarantee they're gonna buy a single thing. Anybody that says they can guarantee is lying. I yep. can get the people there and get the horses to the water, stop them to drink. Yeah, I, I have a, an article I wrote when I first started Hawk, I think an entrepreneur that was about like, if someone promises you an ROI run. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, if they could, like, I'm always like, if they're promising you that, ask them if they want to buy your company. If they can <laughs> predict the growth, fucking they should take over. They're going to be a billionaire. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, and you kept angel investing, right? That's become a big part of it too? Yes. And what have been some of your bigger wins there? So angel investing, I invested into a travel site that got acquired uh, it was like reverse travel. So instead of you saying, I want to go to Hawaii and yeah. here's my budget, you say, I've got two grand. Where can I go in the world? Yeah, that's cool. That's and fun. That site did really well. It was called where2.com. Back then it was called where2.com. Then, then we got a deal with Walmart to do the travel bookings for all of Walmart. All their, wow. they, they booked 2 million flights and hotels a year for their staff. <laughs> Walmart's just on another scale, isn't it? <laughs> it's just hard to even grasp. Yeah. And so what, what our proposition to them was, instead of called Wear2, we, ch we changed the name for them to Wear4.com. And what happened was, hey, Walmart, if your staff member books at a hotel that's 14 miles away, the taxi ride is an extra eight bucks. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a lot, right? But yeah. eight bucks each way might be $32 if they go back yeah, twice. Yeah. What's $32 times 500,000 trips in a year? Yeah. $50 million. Yeah. <laughs> Right. What if they book the hotel that's 184 instead of 164? 20 bucks doesn't sound like a lot. What's yeah. 20 bucks times half a million trips? Yeah. $10 million. Yeah. So Walmart in invested into our company on top of the using us. Nice. And that was the big turning point. We went away from consumer. I invested into what are some other funds? One went public, uh, which did well. That was like a, a music a music audio company. Uh -huh. In public, and I I sold a bunch of my stock right before the wedding because it was like very expensive. And so Weddings are crazy, aren't they? <laughs> Shit, just especially that last like month where you're just stops to like trying to nickel and dime, you're just like screw it, sure, 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 and then you're like, what did I just do? <laughs> you don't realize how much if you have a hundred guests, time hundred hundred times anything is a lot. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's only thirty dollars for this times a hundred or three hundred. Yeah. 500. yeah. Anyways, so there was a company that went public uh, that did well. And then there's some companies that are just doing 20, 30, 20 or 30 million bucks a year, but I've never made a penny. So yeah. A lot of people don't realize with angel investing, I was the first check into like trendybutler.com and dollarbeardclub.com, like some yep. that have now done tens and tens of millions of dollars of revenue. Yeah. I never, never got a penny. Yeah. They're not profitable, and they're, or they're, maybe they're profitable, but they haven't distributed and they haven't sold yet. Yep. And so I've had those are some of my early ones that I believe will have good exits at some point. They've had, big successes, but I've never made a penny. Yep. My most recent one that I'm the most vocal about is called uh, Everbowl. Yep. So Everbowl is an acai bowl chain. I came in when they had 17 locations a couple of years ago, but outside of my investment into the parent co, I was like, look, I really like this business. I love the founder. If the founder was selling lamps, I would have put the same amount of money in. Yeah. I just believed in him. And so I brought in a friend out of Utah named Aaron Wagner, who already had like a hundred locations of other types of restaurants. Uh-huh. And we became partners to like really build this thing up. Cool. So he became like the master franchisee for the business. We ended up buying 23 of the locations. Uh -huh. uh, me, Aaron, and a friend named Cole Hatter. We bought up yeah. a bunch of locations. And then he's been out there franchising and opening up locations in Utah, Las Vegas, et cetera. So now the brand has 45 locations. Uh -huh. And we're opening one every 10 days. Oh, wow. We have yeah. 100, 134 locations that have already paid deposits for their franchises uh -huh. so i tried to help the business from different angles one get them away from becoming a an owner and really focus on becoming a franchiser yeah totally different, totally different business now you're in the yeah. startup business right yeah so we shifted that i brought in qvc when the the pandemic started back march april last year he had to furlough you know three or four hundred employees and he's like but i got ninety thousand acai packs i can i have some i want to do something with it yeah so our friend todd abrams from icon meals He's like, hey, why don't you talk to QVC? Maybe they could help you sell it. They do great for us. So that worked out amazing because now he does 500K to a million bucks in a month on QVC. That's awesome. Frozen packs. Yeah. All because of the, the situation. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah, something I saw with the pandemic that has been really resonated is the people that tried to figure it out 
seem to do really well. I don't care about your industry. And I say that because I have a buddy that owns a change of gyms across Canada that ended up finding an eight-figure business in virtual training to try to keep his trainers paid while he, and he's still, it's in Canada, they're still closed, but he's got now an eight-figure virtual training business that he's now raised money around and he's building up this incredible platform. Like that's one example. I've seen friends with restaurants and all these things that have figured it out and were able because it's also so many people froze up and pulled out spending didn't decline because of all the stimulus and everything so people still spent tons of money if you just put yourself in front of it you made money throughout the past year yep so his pivot helped a lot with yep. the business i then raised about five million bucks amongst a bunch of our friends from the mastermind groups yeah uh, we put in five million bucks then drew Brees put in a couple million bucks on top of that which was fun that's fun yeah so now the business is well capitalized mm -hmm. profitable has been doing distributions every quarter so now Unlike most of my investments, it actually pays distributions. I, nice. I try to invest from all angles. Yeah. A business like that, I, I don't even call it double down. I, out of the companies I invest in, one, my strict thing is I only invest in companies that I can help. Yeah. Smart. If you're doing, if Eric's doing heart surgeries, God bless you for doing that. I can't help you. Yeah. But if Eric's making hoodies with hearts on them, I can help yeah. myself a lot of heart, heart hoodies, right? Yeah. And so I try to focus on things that I can help with. And yeah. that's why a lot of the companies have either, uh, survived or thrived. I've never had any of these companies closed down because I'll financially support them, but I'll also help them with this relationship, that relationship, that connection, et cetera. And now I'm trying to take an overdrive. Now yeah. I started the rolling fund. Now I have my syndicate group. Now I'm like, okay, now that I got the model down, we have tons of inbound options of what's invested in. I'll yep. co-invest. So if Eric says, hey, I should invest in this because Eric does much investing. I'll co-invest along friends that have already vetted deals. But my yep. goal is how do I get my investor syndicate from 600 people to 5,000 people? Then I can try to fund a deal in like an hour. Yeah. I just sent out a text message and email. Are you guys in or out? And let's yeah, no, it's been fun. I mean, with our, we raised our fund and then what we've done is, and we told our LPs we're doing this, we're, we have our fund thesis that we do checks out of the fund. And then when they, we uh, have things that are outside that thesis, we still float it by the LP list, which similarly, we, we only have, I think, 48. So it's not, as you said, an hour, but a couple of days we can fund a, a good SPV and yep. it's great. So when we find good deals now, we can we have a little bit of juice behind us. Yep. It's fun. So that that's what I want to take to, I want to do that at scale. I think it'd be, yep. interesting. I think it'd be interesting if you have 48 guys that want to jump into deals, it doesn't take big checks. They throw no. in 25K, 50K checks, times that yep. by 20 guys, boom, you got a million bucks. Yeah. And so- I really want to do that at scale. I want to get thousands of people into my syndicate side uh -huh. uh, because I believe that the entrepreneurs are what really helps fix America. Yeah, you, I agree. Eric funds a company and they go hire 10 people. Well, what if he funds 50 companies? Yep. And then all of a sudden they go from 10 people to 30. Yep. You're creating thousands of jobs. Yep. And so to me, that's been always my emotional attachment to the entrepreneurs is I know that they create jobs and I know that they'll, if I can support them, uh, they can support themselves. Agreed. No, it's the also it's a little bit of the and it's not quite teach, but it's the teach man to fish. Like if you can give someone the opportunity to go create, it's so much bigger than just giving something to someone. Like it's the same. We that's our nonprofit thesis too, is entrepreneurial education, so that people can go build their own. That's awesome. So two last questions for you. First off, what's next? You're building the syndicate. You've got this influencer agency. Do you have, you know, kind of a path in mind, or are you just running with it? So. I, I try to find good quarterbacks for each company. Uh -huh. The Everbowl company, whether I'm there or not, they're going to run their CEOs. Great. He's all in the agency. I brought on a CEO. He runs it. Joey runs it full time. Uh, whether I'm there or not, the agency runs. I'm trying to do that with each thing. My mastermind business, you know, I have two masterminds, same concept uh -huh. of someone running it. You know, if Alec is running it, whether I'm there or not, it's going to run. I'm the relationships. I want yeah. to stay that, be the relationship guy to be able to bring all these people in. The sports card business is my most interesting right now yeah, because of how fast it's scaled. Now I'm like, I'm going to build the first national chain store. For uh -huh. cards. I have two locations now. Our third will be open. Then, we finally went. It was great. <laughs> that's my, that's the thing I really want to scale. I think that one's really compelling and interesting and fun, you know, and so many mutual friends are in the sports card or Pokemon game. Yep. So that one I'm really into. Uh, we did 11 million in sales in the first 304 days. So I think I can really wow. get that thing to do. It'll do 18 million our first year, but I think we can get to 30 to 50 million next year with our hands tied, right? Like I'm well, What's amazing about it is if you build a good 
location like that, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you can make a great place that people want to hang out, you're going to by nature increase the velocity of people trading cards because they want to go in all the time. Right. Yeah, that's great. And so we've just been getting all these interesting characters into the game or if they're in the game, try to help publicize them more. So if it's Ben Baller and Steve Aoki and DJ yeah. Steve and Logan Paul and all these fun characters, them buying cards, them trading cards, them doing deals with brands like Tops. They all have deals with Tops. Like, yeah. That's interesting. That becomes yeah. it gets so many new characters, new faces into the into the industry. And so I've been trying to drive that a lot. Is how do I get lots of, of my friends, acquaintances, followers, interesting people to to just look at the card game and see what things that they like from their childhood. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And it, it's really interesting. I think that's growing. So last question. I think this will be a good one for you. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone that is pursuing their dream or, you know, wants to aspire to do something that you either wish you received or you did receive that helped you kind of get to where you are? Sign contracts with everyone, including your mom. Sign contracts. Did you get screwed on a handshake deal or what did we mean? So the contract is not about a lawsuit. Contract is about actually spelling out what's Eric going to do and what's Dan going to do. So it's yeah. more like an MOU, a memorandum of understanding. Yeah. By doing that, it prevents so many headaches by just saying, Eric's going to do this. Dan's going to do this instead of me thinking what Eric's going to do and me thinking what I'm going to do. Cause we're both wrong. Yep. Right. I'm wrong in two scenarios and you're wrong in two scenarios. Cause I thought I was going to go build the chain store. You thought I was going to build the online. Yeah. And then you thought you were going to do this. And you're like, well, I actually am just a consultant. I don't have to do this, but you have 50%. Yeah. Like yeah. if we just spell it out on one piece of paper and the same thing applies in relationships it applies with your, if your mom wants you to do chores and she thinks she's going to pay you five bucks and you think it's going to be 20, that yeah. situation, that resentment wouldn't happen if she just wrote it down. You could have talked about it. Yeah. And she thought you were going to clean your room five days. You thought you were going to do it one day. And yeah. so it was so many scenarios that have happened in the past that I thought someone was going to do this. They thought I was going to do this or that, that was going to happen here or there. And it would have been so simple if we just had a one page contract or a one page memorandum of understanding. I got it. Clarity super important. It's really important to be clear. And yeah, that makes sense. Well, Dan, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on Hawk Talk. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free, identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.